as uh, you find your place, again, uh, remind you uh, the offering plates are uh, still where they've been, and uh, they, uh, can just, they need to be filled up. So uh, as you go out today, uh, feel free to bless the offering plate, or uh, you can uh, text your gift if you want to text the word. You put in the phone number of 73256. And in the message, put popular, you'll get a message right back, and it will ask you to fill in the details. And um, quite a few of you are using that already, and it works marvelously. Uh, we have not had any issues, and again, if money goes straight to the bank, your account gets credited uh, uh, automatically for your statement at the end of the year. It's all... Uh, all done. Electronics can be amazing. Uh, or you can go to the web page and there's a link there uh, as well. So appreciate your faithfulness uh, to you. Alright, Mark chapter 3 beginning in verse 13 this morning. Uh, I want to start this morning uh, by bringing up what may be depending on I guess how athletic you were, uh, this may be a good or a bad memory. Uh, do you remember as a child uh, out on the playground or out in the yard uh, when it came time uh, to play uh, a game, choosing teams uh, and uh, picking, uh, and uh, it was uh, there was a lot of uh, a lot of uh, anxiety in that uh, in that process. You wanted to get uh, picked on the good team. Uh, the last thing in the world was you didn't want to be picked last. Uh, you certainly don't didn't want to be picked behind the girl. Uh, you know uh, all those things. And uh, you know, it was. Uh, I know I just made about seventy-five percent of the audience mad, but uh, you remember that 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 uh, whole uh, that whole choosing up teams thing. It could be a, uh, an interesting uh, experience. Uh, one we used to use if we was playing basketball, uh, with everybody would shoot a free throw, and first so many people who uh, run the free throw were on the team. So I always thought about that. So that means the best shooters were on one team automatically by doing it that way. But uh, that choosing teams could be uh, a bit interesting. Uh, I wonder what it was like uh, the day we're going to talk about uh, when Jesus summoned some folks together and chose his disciples. Uh, what it, uh, what was going through their mind? What was, uh, what it was like uh, to be part of uh, that event? That's what we're, uh, what we're looking at here in verse 13 uh, is uh, Jesus choosing uh, his disciples. Uh, they are called, then they are chosen, then they are commissioned. And he still uses that same pattern today uh, when he needs uh, something done, uh, whether it's calling someone into the ministry or calling them to the mission field or uh, calling them to work with children or calling them. He, he calls you, he chooses you, and he commissions you. And I want to look at that process this morning uh, and see what uh, exactly what uh, was involved uh, as Jesus uh, chose these disciples. Uh, beginning in uh, verse 13 
uh, we uh, see how uh, Jesus, again, it's hard to tell with Mark, uh, again, we talked about this a couple of times, uh, how, how much time elapses between the events with Mark, because he's just kind of, uh, he doesn't give us a lot of filler. Uh, he just kind of, uh, he would have made old, old Joe Friday on Dragnet happy, just the facts. Uh, he, he just gives us the quick, the quick stories, uh, doesn't give us a lot of transition, doesn't give us a lot of fluff, just boom, 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 here's, here's what happened. And uh, what we do know is that by now, we, we saw this, uh, that uh, the crowds are coming from everywhere. Uh, they're coming from all over the place to, uh, to see Jesus. They've heard about his uh, works, his healings, his uh, casting out of demons. And uh, we talked about this last week. Uh, some of them traveling uh, hundreds of miles uh, to get to Christ. And so he goes off uh, by himself, the Bible says. Uh, he goes up into uh, a mountain. It doesn't tell us uh, which mountain here. Uh, there is some speculation, but uh, when you look at the map, there's not a lot of choices based on where he was. Uh, don't really know which mountain, but he goes up, uh, the Bible says there, uh, to the mountain. He goes up to the mountain and summons uh, those he wanted and they came to him. And so Jesus goes up. Uh, let's see if we can uh, put our imaginations together today and, and kind of imagine that scene. The crowd uh, in, in town and, and Jesus slips off and goes up into the mountain. We don't know how long he was uh, there before uh, he summons the, uh, these men. We don't know uh, exactly what he did. We can assume, uh, I think, safely based on his past uh, and future actions that while on that mountain he spent some time uh, in prayer. In fact, uh, Luke tells us that, uh, that he spent some time uh, in prayer during this time. And at some point, uh, he summons or, uh, or calls uh, unto him those uh, whom he would, and they come. Uh, again, there, there's a lot going on. Uh, there are obviously the crowds who are uh, gathering and, and just surrounding him, uh, wanting a healing, but by now he's already got quite a few Christians and quite a few uh, of the religious people who are, uh, who are against him, and already, even at this early stage in his in his ministry, they are already uh, plotting how they can uh, at least arrest him, if not uh, even already execute him. And so uh, he, he takes his time and he goes away uh, from uh, the synagogue and from the religious leaders and from the crowds and, and gathers there uh, with his father. And this uh, this animosity, this hatred of Christ is only going to build and only going to grow uh, as he continues uh, his ministries. He continues uh, to teach and to heal and to challenge uh, the religious uh, position that is the religious authority that is in, uh, in place there. The, the, his, uh, his enemies are only going to uh, grow more determined until eventually they do uh, succeed, as we know, uh, in his death, in his crucifixion eventually. And, and so it comes time now uh, that uh, Christ says, I, 
I need to appoint, uh, I need to appoint a group of men, uh, a special group of men uh, around me to help with this ministry. And I think it's uh, apparent as we, uh, as we know the story and as we continue to read through the Gospels what Christ was doing. First of all, uh, the, the assistance, the help uh, of having those men around him during his ministry. Uh, he, he needed those men. They were, uh, they were his companions. Some uh, apparently much closer uh, in their relationship uh, with Christ. Peter, James, and John, for example, apparently much tighter relationship with Jesus than it seems uh, some of the other disciples uh, had. And so he, uh, that, that relationship that he had with them, that uh, helping with the effort, uh, again, certainly Christ being Lord uh, could do anything he needed to do. Uh, but, uh, for example, uh, when he fed the, the 5,000, uh, he sent the disciples out to pass out the food. And so he had helpers and workers. But then obviously, uh, the other thing that was going on was they were going to spend the next three years with Christ uh, learning from him. They were going to spend the next three years being taught, being trained, uh, because he knew uh, what they did not know and what uh, even later on they didn't want to accept was that he was going to be crucified and he was going to ascend back to his father and now the, the ministry, the work was going to fall on these well, 11 men, if you, if you, if you don't count Judas in, in the crowd, that, uh, that you and I today uh, can largely account, uh, give credit for the fact that we're here today, that we're gathered, that we're worshiping, that we have uh, the scripture we have because Jesus poured into these 11 men and these 11 men, I, I know 12 for anybody who's watching, but I'm not, I'm not counting Jews. Uh, these 11 men then went out after the ascension and began to preach and began to teach and began to start churches and began to share the gospel and, and, and are responsible largely uh, for the, the beginning uh, of the gospel. So Jesus was uh, preparing uh, these men for that, uh, for that work. It's the first thing uh, that I notice here uh, about these men uh, is there is a passionate relationship. Uh, Jesus loves them and they love him. That there is a passionate relationship. These are not just, uh, there were plenty uh, of hanger owners. I'm not sure that's exactly uh, a word, but I'm going to use it. That there were plenty of hanger owners uh, who were around Christ. Uh, we already see that. There were, there, there were plenty who were coming to Christ just for a healing, just for what they could get from Him, just for whatever they could do. There were plenty uh, of those who just wanted to see, uh, just wanted to be there if He did do something. They wanted to be able to say, uh, I, I witnessed it, I, I, I met Jesus, and uh, they wanted to check it out to see if, if it was true. We, we know that's the case because uh, of the throngs that were following Him at this point, and yet by the time we get to the cross, uh, they're all gone. Uh, by the time we get to the cross, uh, none of them are there but uh, John and his mother. All of them have uh, scattered out. Many of them, uh, in fact, are the very ones uh, who, who cried out, crucify him. And so uh, this crowd is going to, uh, to dissipate over time. And so, but, but with these men, there, there is a, a passionate relationship that they, we see them 
as we look in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, as we look at them, we see them. They, they go with Jesus uh, everywhere. They follow Him everywhere. They're, they're part of His ministry. They're part of His work. They're out sharing the Gospel. He sends them out uh, to tell people. Uh, many people... Uh, beat up poor Thomas, but at one point, uh, as Jesus starts back uh, towards uh, Jerusalem, as he starts back into that area, uh, Thomas says, hey, uh, and I'm paraphrasing Thomas, basically says, hey, if, if he's going to die, I'm going to die with him. You know, and a lot of people look at that and think, well, Thomas was being pessimistic. You can choose that way if you want to. I look at it and say, Thomas was being faithful. Thomas says, if he's going, I'm going. I don't know what the results are going to be, but if he's going, I'm going. If Thomas was really all that pessimistic and doubting, and he said, when Jesus goes in, they're going to kill him, he's going to say, I'm staying here. No, Thomas says, I'm going with him. And so he has this group of people who there is a passionate relationship with. He has these men uh, who he is pouring his heart into, who he is teaching. We, we only have, and, and, and estimates vary. Uh, people have attempted, uh, scholars have attempted to take the, the Gospels and, and, and harmonize the Gospels and, 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 and say, how many days uh, of Christ's earthly ministry do we actually have record of? And, and the, the number varies. There's all kinds of uh, estimates from very low to much higher. Uh, uh, but we only have a very small uh, record uh, of the three years that, that Christ spent with these disciples. And, and the time he spent alone. We have very few uh, of, of any of his private conversations when, when it was just him and the disciples sitting by the campfire uh, in, in the evening. We have very few, if any, uh, of the conversations they had as they walked down the dusty road and they asked him questions and he answered and he talked. We, we don't have uh, hardly any record of that. But we know that he did because we see the results after his ascension. We see, we see the, these men. We see how their life changed. We see them, uh, these men being the ones again, who go out and, and proclaim the gospel and become martyrs for the faith. These are men who ended up dying for the message of Jesus Christ. They had a passionate relationship. Both ways, Jesus loved them and they loved him. They were not just uh, disciples. They, they were students. They were friends. They were companions. They, they, again, they, they loved each other as they, uh, as they traveled and as they worked together. And, and there was, again, just this, this, this relationship between them. Uh, and, and he takes... Jesus takes great care uh, when you read the Gospels. And, and again, we don't have that much evidence from Scripture of what He said to them. But what we do have is evidence of what He did in them. Of how He transformed them and changed them. Took a ragtag group of men. Took a, a group of guys that were, were they weren't religious scholars, they were fishermen, they were tax collectors, they were politicians, they, 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 were, they, they were not uh, students of, of the law beforehand, and yet these are men 
that after the ascension went out and literally transformed the world. They changed the world. They changed the world you and I live in. We still today talk about these disciples and the work they did. We still read the letters that they wrote. We still read the sermons that they preached. We still study the prayers that they prayed. These men had a relationship with God. He had a relationship with them. And He called them, it says, unto Him. And he called unto Him. And I'm going to all the, uh, the Greek vocabulary of linguistics, but that phrase, when it says it called unto Him, it says He, he called them. The word means He called them for His own interest. They were to be for Him. When He called these men to Him, what He was saying is, you, you come to me, and you leave all that behind. You leave the fishing boat behind. You leave the tax collecting booth behind. I'm calling you to me. I'm calling you to me, towards me, is what the word means. He's saying, I'm calling you that from this point forward, I want you to be getting closer to me and further from where you were. There was this passionate relationship. Didn't matter their position. Didn't matter who they were. Didn't matter their background. Didn't matter their appearance. Didn't matter about their looks. He looked at their heart. And what he saw in these men, he chose them and called them unto him. And then the Bible says something amazing. He called them unto him and they came unto him. We all know that's not always the case. Jonah was called and went the other direction. But these men, when they were called, he called them to him. Leave all that behind. Leave that behind and come and follow me. And these men, they came. And again, the word there means they went away unto him. He called them to leave all that behind and come to me. And when it says they came unto him, that's what they did. They went away to him. Threw down their fishing rods. They put up their tax collecting books. Whatever else these men did for a living, they left it behind. They went to follow Jesus. They left. The, the, the idea of that word, when it says they came unto him, it, it is the, the biblical word for sook. Not a word I don't know that I've ever used in a sentence other than when reading scripture or preaching. They forsook. They forsook. I don't know who thought that word up. They forsook everything to be with Christ. They, they left those things behind and they began to follow Him. They left their former work. They left behind their families. They left behind anything else and they went to follow Jesus. There's a passion relationship. I don't know how many of you are ahead of me. I hope all of you. Because my question for us this morning as we think about Jesus calling these men and the passionate relationship 
that he had with them as he called them to leave it all behind and come with him. And they left it all behind and came with him. With that definition in mind and with that understanding, how many of us this morning would honestly say, I have a passionate relationship with Jesus Christ. I've left the old behind. The old things have passed away and all things have become new. I am a new creature in Christ. He has called me to Him and I have forsook my old life, my old habits, my old lifestyle, and I've left those things behind for a passionate relationship with Jesus Christ. There is a planned response. Why did Jesus call these men and say, come unto me? You need to leave everything and follow me. Look in verse 14. It says, and he ordained twelve that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. He ordained twelve and that they might be with him and that he could send them forth to preach. I want you to notice very carefully the process revealed in, four, in the verse 14. First of all, he called them to him. He ordained them. We have ordination ceremonies in our churches today, but the word ordained simply means that they were set aside. They were appointed to be with Jesus. First lesson Jesus wanted to teach these men. Before you can do anything, before you can be anything, before you can accomplish anything of substance, you must be with Jesus. You cannot do it on your own. You cannot accomplish it by yourself. The first thing they had to do was have, a, have that passionate relationship. They had to have that relationship with, with Christ. Began there. He, he first of all, his response, this is what Christ planned for these men. First of all, that they would be with him. That they would have personal fellowship with him. As the old song goes, that they would walk with him and talk with him. And he could tell them that they, they were his. They were ordained. Their plan was for them to be with him. That he would, they would know him. That they would believe him. That they would trust him. That they would understand him. That was the response that he planned above all. That they would have a knowledge of Christ. You know, most of you will, I think, understand and realize you, you spend three years in close contact with someone. You, you, you get married. Or those of you who are in the military, you spend three or four years in the military and you, you know, you work together, you exercise together, you, you, you sleep in the same beds, you, you sit at the same chow hall, 
you, you march in the same lines, you fight the same enemies, and over time, you get to understand somebody. You get to know them pretty well. Jesus' plan was for His followers to know Him, to come to the point where they understood Him, understood His ways and His desires. You know, we, we, for years, we don't see it too much anymore. We, we saw those bracelets and bumper stickers. What would Jesus do? The problem with many believers is they don't know. They honestly don't know what Jesus would do because they haven't spent enough time in His Word. They haven't spent enough time in prayer. They haven't spent enough time in His house. They haven't spent enough time in worship. They haven't spent enough time with His people. They haven't spent enough time with Him. Jesus says, I want these men to get a crash course. Then, he says, I want the next part of his plan is that they would be sent out. That they would be ambassadors. That they would be his representatives. See, he knew, again, that his time was short. He knew that he only had a brief period of earthly ministry. But there were several thousand years of work to be done. And somebody had to do it. And so it wasn't Jesus' plan for these men to get together in a holy huddle somewhere and talk about what Jesus used to do. Maybe a bad memory for some. I don't mean it to be. And I apologize. But I think most of you are familiar with what happens in most families when a loved one passes away. In most families, at some point, the family ends up kind of all together in a place. And they begin to reflect and remember on the life of their loved one. It brings tears. It brings laughter and smiles. As they gather together and they remember the life of that loved one. But at some point, that ends. And they go back into the workplace. And they go home. They go back into the neighborhood. Christ knew and meant for these men not to be sitting together having a pity party and a reflection. These men were called, they were chosen to be sent out. They were called for a purpose to be sent out. What were they to do? I find this extremely important and interesting. The last thing this verse tells us is that his plan was that they were called, they were chosen, he had a plan for them to be sent, and do what? What did he send them out to do? Anybody? Preach! Now I want to 
call your memory back to our passage last week. Do you remember why the people were coming to see Jesus? Why were they traveling hundreds of miles to come and bring their loved ones and family members to Jesus? To be healed? To have demons cast out? Those are the two key things that are mentioned. Why is it that this passage doesn't say that Jesus called these men and sent them out to heal the sick? Why does this passage say that Jesus called these men and sent them out to cast out demons? Because those were not the most important things they had to do. Did they heal? Certainly. We see evidence in the book of Acts. The disciples, we see healing. We see people just trying to get their loved one into the shadow of Peter and John. There was healing. No doubt there were demons exercised. But, can I submit a thought to you this morning? If God opened heaven this morning and not with the hand of Benny Hinn, but with his very own hand, reached down out of heavens and touched you and healed you perfectly. Your eyesight was better. Your lip was gone. Your back didn't hurt. You could hear. Your ingrown toenails were better. Your bunions was better. Even, I said right, even your split ends is cured. But there's not a change in your heart. Jesus sent these men out to preach. There's a huge, huge lesson. For the church of Jesus Christ in 2023 today. I, I know I get on this every so often, but it's not getting any better. We are in the church today very, very concerned about what I pull up under one heading as social ministry. We're worried about building houses for habitat for humanity and clothing the naked and feeding the hungry and all those things. And those things are good and I believe that they are biblical mandates for the church of Jesus Christ. But if we feed them, clothe them, Housing, and they got lost. We're failures. We can build them great big houses, five bedroom, four bathroom, two stories, garage, paved driveway, 
in the finest neighborhood in town. We can stop their pantry with all brand name groceries. Not just all this stuff, brand name stuff. Fill up the refrigerator and the freezer with fine meat. That, well, I don't even know the name of it. I just know that Japanese meat. I can't even think of what they call it. Wagyu? Something like that? Is that it? Finest meat money can buy. Best furniture. We can fill their closets with designer clothes. And they'll die and go to hell from the finest house in the neighborhood. Jesus called these men to preach. And I don't believe his message has changed, his intent and his purpose has changed since. Should we feed him? Should we clothe him? Should we house him? Should we do that? Absolutely. But if we fail to share the good news of Jesus Christ, we have failed. Call him to preach. That doesn't just mean standing here. That means at the restaurant. That means at the neighborhood. That means at work. We call him to preach. Now, notice the next verse. Verse 15, we do see that there are some powerful results. And they were to have power to heal sickness and to cast out devils. Oh, man. See? There it is. But it wasn't first. Wasn't first. First was to preach. He sent them first, sent them forth, first and foremost to preach. Healing was secondary. Physical healing was secondary. No doubt it's important. Listen, one of the greatest lessons we can ever learn is people don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. We can sit in the church with all the biblical knowledge in the world, but if we don't show them to the world that we love them and care about them, they'll never hear our message. He says, he sent them out to preach. Listen, it's important. Listen, we've got a great world of medicine. And, and it's man's desire to have healing. And, and, and we have a desire. Most of us have in us this, this innate desire that if we see a hurting person, we want to help them. And we're sent for that reason. There's nothing wrong with that. Should we be compassionate? Absolutely. Should we be caring? Absolutely. Should we have social ministry? Absolutely. It's like I, 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 I keep telling them oh, over here at the Shane House. I tell them I can train a monkey to stand beside the road and throw food in people's windows. They go down the road. Any nut can pass out food. But only a disciple tells people about Jesus. Now it's all hard to tell a lost, a hungry man about Jesus. I understand that. That's why Jesus does say here that they were to heal, that they were to 
cast out demons. But first they preach. We need to understand the whole assignment of what Christ's plan was for these people. Healing of bodies, provision for bodies takes second place to healing for the soul. Somewhere in church history, we've crossed that up. I think one of the reasons of the problem, what, what caused that, is again, it's much easier to walk up to a hungry man and say, hey, come here everybody to lunch. Not much threat of that. He's probably not going to reject you. He's probably not going to call you names. He's probably going to say thank you and come in and eat. It's not real hard to walk up to a cold man and give him a jacket. It's not real hard to go out into the street and find a man who's sleeping under a bridge and sleeping in the weather and dealing with the elements and say, hey, let me, let me put you in a hotel room for a few nights. Not a lot of challenge to that. But you start walking around telling people about Jesus, somebody might punch you in the mouth. Everybody doesn't want to hear that message. And so we've taken the easier path. Makes us feel good to do those things. Don't get real nervous about taking up an offering to help somebody. We get a little anxious when it comes time to go knock on their door and tell them about Jesus. What Jesus shows us with these men is we're to do all of it. We're to do it all. We're to do it all. And then notice there is a perceivable reaction. And Simon, he surnamed Peter. James, the son of Zebedee. John, the brother of James, he surnamed them Bonerges, which is the sons of thunder. And Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus and Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him. And they went into a house. You may read that verse first and say, well, there's not much meat there. Oh, I disagree. Mark lists those twelve men. There's not a king among them. There's not royalty among them. In fact, we only know the occupation of six of those men. Now, I'm only telling us what six of them did. Peter, James, John, and Andrew were fishermen. Matthew was a lowly, hated tax collector. Simon was a zealot. Little debate over exactly what that means, whether he was actually in politics or was more of a what we call today a lobbyist. That, that's probably a little more accurate. Simon was more likely a lobbyist. His objective, what he strived at, what he worked at, was to overthrow the Roman government. The other six don't know nothing about. It. Don't have a clue. In fact, they're barely mentioned. 
Hardly, hardly a word other than maybe their name. And sometimes not even that. Many times we see Peter, James, John, and the disciples. It's like being in the backup group to Elvis Preston. Who knows who you are? We don't know anything about these men. Or do we? Simple one. Well, let's 
head. Let's see if it goes up. Nope. Yes or no function. Works something like this. It's a great problem solving tool. You got a problem and you got an answer. For example, the, the one that I, I wanted to put on the screen said something along these lines. You got a something a, a decision to make. Well, first question you ask is do I want to do it? If you say no, then don't do it. You have a discussion. If you say yes, then the next question you've got to ask is will this result in some kind of disaster or severe bodily harm? If the answer is yes, then if the answer is no, then go ahead and do it. If the answer is yes, this must be a redneck toy chart, because if the answer is yes, it may end up in severe bodily harm. The next question is, but will it still make a really good story? <laughs> if the answer is yes, go ahead and do it. I told you it was a redneck toy chart. If the answer is no, then you don't do it. Works great for solving problems. Let's make a yes no flow chart for this passage of scripture. Do you have a passionate relationship with Jesus? Yes or no? If the answer is no, then today you need to come to Christ. You need to come to this altar. Let me show you from God's word how you can be saved. Or, perhaps you say, well, I haven't been saved, but I really don't have a passionate relationship. Then you need to be on this altar, praying, committing yourself. Lord, I want a passionate relationship with you. I want to come unto you. I want to leave all those old things behind. If the answer is yes, I do have a passionate relationship with you. Then the next question is, am I boldly proclaiming the gospel? Because that's what he said. After he called him to him, he said, I have to preach. Are you telling people about Jesus? If the answer is no, you get busy. You get on the altar. You can pray. God, give me opportunity. Give me courage. If the answer is yes, then it says there was results. Are you seeing results? No. You need to pray, God, what am I doing wrong? What do I need to do different? God's using me. I want to see people's lives changed. The answer is yes. I'm seeing that. I'm seeing lives changed. Is there a perceivable difference? in your life because of your relationship with Jesus Christ? If the answer is no, you go back to the first step. You need to go back to the question. Do I have a passionate relationship with Jesus Christ? Because I just cannot believe that a person can have a passionate relationship with Jesus Christ 
and it not be perceivable. If the answer is yes, I think I do. Then the words of Paul come to mind. I press on toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of Jesus Christ. Then I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to stop till Jesus comes or he calls me home. Anybody in this room who is not both challenged and encouraged, and she might hit me, but she has before. If you're not challenged and encouraged to see past, hobbling into this room and up on this stage and throwing her head back and singing like she knows to Jesus she's talking. Pressing on toward the mark, towards the prize, toward the high calling of Jesus Christ. Are we? I want to ask you to bow your heads this morning. Go down those questions. Do you have a passionate relationship with Christ? Are you boldly proclaiming the gospel? Are you seeing results? Is there a perceivable difference in your life because of your relationship with Jesus Christ? Can people tell you've been with Jesus? Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the opportunity to preach. I thank you for people who would sit and listen. I thank you most of all for the Holy Spirit who will take your word now and put it into our hearts. God, give us a desire for that passionate relationship that leads to a perceivable, visible, obvious difference. And I bring us to this all. Put us on our hands and knees before you. Crying out with that kind of relationship. One here today that doesn't know you. One joining us online. And I pray that you stir up. That's the day will be the day of the coming of Jesus. We'll give you honor for us, which in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we say. Oh.
Oh, over there. That's a cast you're having back. Um, <laughs> um, but if you, if you were willing to help uh, in any way, um, you would see Rhonda and let her know so she can uh, give you a job. All right? Good deal. Have a good tour. Let's pass with this mess. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for uh, allowing us to gather here this morning. Uh, thank you for your word and for the challenge you've given us. God, to have a passionate relationship with you and to see results from that relationship. God, we just ask you to go with us as we leave here. Bless those that are traveling, enjoying this uh, vacation week. Those that will travel, uh, we'll keep them safe, bring us back together uh, next week. We'll give you the honor for it. It's in Jesus' name. Now. Thank you, Bandy. No Wednesday night service. Oh, one other thing. Thank you. Thank you for joining my mind. Um, those of you who don't know, um, Janice is Janice coming over here, uh, faithful to sit in her spot over there. She's another one of them that's not going to say nothing. She's, she's getting red just me talking about her. Um, but her son-in-law was in a really bad car accident uh, last week before last. Got the base, spent a lot of time in the hospital, tore up the vehicle, uh, out of work. Um, and we've had some folks who have uh, uh, taken up uh, some money to help them, um, but I'm going to find something back there in the back um, to throw, some, uh, throw an offering for if you'd like to help them. Uh, David grew up here, um, and Janice uh, usually has her, a lot of times has her daughters with her, and so if you would like to help them, um, uh, oh, I'll ask on the ball. Uh, she kind of linked you up. I hope there wasn't an empty offering plate back there. Um, so uh, she put it on the table over there where the bulletins are. And uh, if you'd like to uh, help them uh, recover from this accident. Thank you, Pansy. No service Wednesday night. Remember that. You show up, the lights will be out.